Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Dennis Shapiro today. This is a great episode. You're going to learn so much about how to maximize your alternative investing. And of course, we talk all about real estate investing on Elevate, but we also talk about how to marry that with a traditional approach as well, and how perhaps that non-traditional approach can help you reach your goals in investing, and also how the expansion of your identity and who you are as a whole person can take you to that next level because perhaps there are some blind spots in your world like there were in Dennis's world prior to where he is now and where he continues to go. So there's so much value in this episode. I just wanna encourage you to buckle up and I want to let you know that today is a great day. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I am a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar. Before we do that, guys, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to subscribe, rate, and review Elevate Podcast. It is absolutely your expectation that we're going to continue to bring the heat. I'm telling you right now, we're just getting started and we're bringing on the best of the best. And we're going to continue to bring you two episodes every single week, one of which is going to be related to an expert that perhaps is not related to real estate. Another is going to be related directly to real estate so that you can combine multifaceted and multidisciplinary learning to being the best of the best in real estate and also developing a life of fulfillment and a life that you love, right? It's designed the life of your dreams. That's what Elevate's all about. So if you're enjoying this, we invite you to subscribe, give us a rating and review. It really helps us. And I read every single one. So I just want to thank everyone who has done that already. If you have not done so already, your reminder is that the fee for being here is really just to pay it forward. Just share this with one friend, share this with one person that you care about. Maybe it's one person that you just met. I think you're going to learn today about expert networking and how to build a thriving network so that you can thrive in real estate and otherwise. And so this is a great way for you to do that is to pay it forward in this capacity, share this podcast with someone else. And with all that said, I want to dive in. I want to introduce you to Dennis Shapiro, who began investing in real estate in 2012 when the market was just beginning to recover from the global financial crisis. He built a cash flowing portfolio, including many alternative and assets, such as note and ATM funds, mobile home parks, life insurance policies, tech startups, industrial property, short-term rentals, and more. He co-founded an investment club for accredited investors in 2019. Following the success of his investor club, he launched 
SIH Capital Group. SIH Capital Group provides accredited investors with a simplified strategy to invest for passive income. Dennis has observed key changes in the alternative asset market in the decade of recovery from the global financial crisis. The Jobs Act of 2012 opened many alternative assets to everyday investors, but clear expertise and guidance is still hard to find nearly a decade later. This observation compelled Dennis to write the Alternative Investment Almanac, expert insights on building personal wealth in non-traditional ways in 2021. His book is based on his own experience becoming a successful alternative asset investor and interviews with some of the best alternative asset investors in business today. So you're going to learn so much about really how to become an expert networker yourself, how to grow a world-class database and relationship base across the country, across the world to get to where you want to go and to help other people as well. But you're also going to learn about what it means to invest in a mastermind, what it means to invest in your mindset and how that can transform you and what that can do for your life beyond just real estate investing, beyond just alternative investment you know, approaches. So without further ado, I want to welcome you to this phenomenal conversation with the great Dennis Shapiro. Dennis Shapiro, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? I'm doing really, really good. Thank you so much for having me. Man, it's my pleasure. Um, really enjoyed our conversation before we got started today. I'm excited to dive into this conversation for many reasons. But before we dive in, if you could describe yourself in the way that your family members, your your closest friends, or people that know you the best, how would they describe Dennis Shapiro? So this is going to be interesting, and it's going to come off very unexciting. Like ever <laughs> since I was like a teenager, I was always called like the boring old man. Like I would rather save money, be frugal and like read books, uh, than go out and do typical teenage things. Um, so that's, that's the best way that described. And I think that's always kind of, um, I think that's coming back from like an immigrant background where, you know, I was frugal, not for as optional. It was frugal as a, a frugal due to necessity. And I think that's always stuck with me, um, and it, it, it's even a little thing that I kind of want to try to shake a little bit sometimes, but it, it's hard to shake that off. Yeah, man. So the, the boring old man, you've always been the boring old man in some ways. Some people may say that's not boring, right? If you're reading books and you're, you're introspective and you're thinking and you're learning and you're growing, but man, that's really insightful. It's almost like the old soul, right? Some people have told me that before that I've got an old soul. Has anybody ever told you that, Dennis? I think in one way or version, one way or another, I think I've gotten the word old with a whole bunch of descriptions. So I'm pretty sure I was called old soul in between that. So, so tell me a little bit more about your upbringing. So you're an immigrant and you mentioned the frugality and sort of that, that mentality that that has manifested within your psyche. And in some ways you're trying to shake that, but tell me a little bit more about your upbringing. Yeah. So I came to this country when I was three years old. Uh, my parents were divorced two years later. So I was raised by my two older brothers and my mom, who was working like two jobs at the time. Um, I still remember the fridge had, you know, very like condiments were our entree kind of situation. Wow. And I, I grew up in Brooklyn for my childhood. And I remember there was some of the best pizza around and I would go with my friends and they would order this pizza and like I would salivate. And then when I come home, I would take like a piece of bread, throw some cheese on it and ketchup. I'll be like, there you go. There's my, there's my pizza. Uh, but as you know, my family progressed and we moved up, I guess the socioeconomic ladder, um, I was just never really wasteful with, with money. And I think that's helped me 
be a better investor because it's kind of hard to be an investor without any money. Yeah. And I would imagine in some capacities, right, you've got to break free of that scarcity mindset in some ways. In some ways, I'm sure it's served you to be conservative and to be thoughtful, to be diligent in how you look at deals. So I'm sure we'll get into all of that. But in other ways, it's like, all right, well, let's let's leap beyond that so that we can recognize the abundance that's out there for us. But I, I think that's so valuable. And so from there, as you grew up, I mean, how did you get started professionally and what did that look like? Yeah. So uh, I was 14 years old. I was in high school and my oldest brother is about eight years older than me. He gives me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, yeah. you know, his light bulb went off. So uh, we're, we're like a family where if one of us finds something really good, we try to like almost brainwash everybody else in the family. Uh, so he gave me the copy. He was like, hey, you got to read this. Like I read this. I read it from start to finish. And like, I, I remember hating the book. Wow. Like, yeah, I was like a rarity. I was like, I really do not like this book. And what I realized now is that as a 14-year-old, I just couldn't grasp the significance of the book. To me, I was just looking at it from like a very simplified version. I'm like, wow, this guy's making a lot of money doing these tours and these coaching things. I was like, maybe the, the actual content isn't really that good. Uh, you know, years later, completely different, you know, complete 360 on it. I absolutely, I could complete 180 on it. I completely love the book and everything like that. But the first time I read it, I was like, I don't know, maybe this is a scam. I didn't really, I didn't really get what most, you know, real estate investors later on get out of it at that time. Now, what I did get out of it was that I should start investing. And that's when I started investing. What the easiest thing for a 14 year old to do, I went, I think I opened up a joint brokerage account with my older brother. He signed off on me. And I think it was like a Scott Trade account at the time. And I bought like a mutual fund that he bought. And then I followed it along for like a whole year waiting to be rich. I think I made like a thousand dollar investment. And like the whole year, I was like looking at this thing and I was like, wow, this thing is not moving anyway. I got to do something better. And I'm like, I could get really impatient sometimes where if I'm looking at something, I'm like, well, I know it should be doing better. So I started, you know, diving into the more the classics, the Peter Lynch's, the Warren Buffett's individual stock, uh, stock decisions. And then I went that route. It was way better than the mutual fund. Uh, and that was kind of it between my, I went to high school, I went to college for the purpose of kind of getting into stocks and stuff like that. But unfortunately I went to college in was 05 through 09. So not the greatest time to go into financial sector in New York city. Uh, so I went straight for my MBA at that point. Then I got a job with the government. And when I got my first paycheck, I realized that the government is not my only my employer. They're like my business partner. So I kind of started looking around and I was like, well, you know, I need a legal way of not paying this much in taxes. <laughs> so um, I started looking into real estate at that point. So I started, I started, I bought my first property. I think I was like 22 years old. Uh, and then for the next nine years, I kind of went down the different rabbit holes in real estate from, uh, you know, from small rentals to uh, funds to apartment buildings and the whole gamut in between. Thank you for that background. I think it's really unique that you hated Rich Dad, Poor Dad. To me, that's really, really fascinating. And um, I love still that you said, well, wait a minute, but there's still something to be said about this. There's still something to be said about this approach. And you went out and you took action. As, as little as a $1,000 investment in a mutual fund was, you were learning, right? There was some learning involved in that experience. 
and then you decided to take it to to the next step. I was talking to somebody yesterday about like startups and new businesses or even investments. Is you know, there's this thing called the startup J curve, right? And and at times you you take this leap and you say, here's my business plan, here's here's my approach, and the market gives you feedback and it says, look, this is not reality. This is not in demand in the way that you thought it was, and so you have a little dip. And so there's that that choice there where you say, look, I'm either going to continue on this dip and I'm going to crash and I'm going to be done, or I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go in the direction that I want to go. And you made a pivot right along those, you know, along many years. And by the way, I was in college uh, in similar timeframes. And so I understand exactly what you're saying coming out from, you know, into the professional world at, during the global financial crisis was obviously challenging in many capacities, but uniquely for you. And so let's talk about as you got started in investing in real estate. So you got started investing in single family homes. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, my oldest brother owned a, a single family rental, kind of like a low income area. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. Let me just buy it from you without an appraisal and <laughs> without a business plan and every other mistake you could possibly make. Uh, so I, I, I bought that property from him. And, you know, sure enough, it's every, you know, stereotype imaginable. I went through evictions. I went through, you know, full rentals. I went through working with the housing department. Um, I have some really awesome stories about that experience, but it wasn't it wasn't a good enough experience where I was like, wow, I really want to scale this like a hundred times. It was more like, wow, it's good to have something here. It's nice to collect a little rent, but I'm like, wow, this is not this is not what I want to do full time. So you were gaining experience. You were catching some bruises. Maybe you're skinning your knees, so to speak. And I can totally relate to that, uh, by the way, in the beginning. You know, I think we all do, right? But you have to take action and you have to get that feedback too to say, all right, well, what what makes sense for me? So you were looking at this as an opportunity for you to have a tax strategy, right? Because you're yeah. making money and you're like, wait a minute, I'm making maybe too much and maybe I'm paying too much. So then this was a tax strategy. And then you said, all right, I can't scale this or I don't want to scale this. So then what was the next step? So the next step is I actually kind of took a couple of years where I, I was I was kind of going back and forth between alternative assets and traditional. So I was like, all right, now let me get into I was like, this rental property wasn't as great as I thought it would be. You know, maybe, you know, my solution is to find something more traditional with like publicly traded REITs or something like that. So ideally speaking, I always had this like ideal portfolio in mind. I wanted appreciation and income. So I didn't want to sacrifice one or the other. You know, the traditional, uh, you know, advice they give you is like, oh, do 60-40 stocks and bonds. And I personally didn't really like that strategy. I wanted to be 100% into stocks, but be able to create enough income for me when I do start transitioning outside of my nine to five. And what I kept realizing is I had one failed income strategy after another. Like I literally tried every income <laughs> strategy under the sun. I did uh, blue chip stocks, utilities, uh, closed ended funds, MLP, um, REITs, everything. And sure enough, within like one downturn, the, all the liquidity that's available completely like destroyed year, years of yield in one shot. So I started looking around. I was like, well, at the same time that I was struggling to find how to create income from my traditional portfolio, I knew I didn't want to abandon it because it was still appreciating. I was like, wow, this is on autopilot. I'm spending like 1% of my time on this, my brain power. I could still do something else, but I can't just expect income from it. 
So that's when I started looking at my alternative assets. And I'm like, at that time, I started expanding a little bit. So I had a duplex, I had a single family, but then I got into more passive stuff like note funds and ATM funds and life insurance policies. Like I started getting into more stuff where I was like, wow, there's no liquidity. There's almost no liquidity here. So this stuff hardly ever moves, but it provides pretty good income. And then on my left side with the traditional stuff, I was like, wow, this appreciates. If I just simplify this, stop with all these income strategies and just do some kind of like low cost index fund, I could put that on autopilot and then just focus in on building, focus in my out of my 99% of my brain power into actually becoming a really good uh, passive investor. Because I like to say it's, it's, an, it's a very active activity. You know, you have to be actively passive to be a good passive investor. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think you have a really unique philosophy or perspective because most investors are either traditional or alternative. And like, that's it, right? It's like you draw the line in the sand and we're on one side or the other. And you better believe my approach is the right approach and yours is the wrong one. I like what your thought is in terms of from your experience about allocation, right? Between traditional and alternative. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to mention. That's probably like my main thing that I, I get across when I talk to other investors. It was this huge versus scenario. It was almost like, yeah, I like, you know, my stocks, but, you know, I, I, I hit a home run with this flip. I'm just going to sell everything here and just go into flipping all the time. And then you're like, well, you're talking to them and say, well, when's if there's a downturn? When's if you get caught on a downturn on thing? You don't want to have that diversification. So I try to change the narrative whenever I talk to anybody. And instead of versus, just put end. Look, like it, 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 the stock market has a track record of going back like 100 years. Well, it'll appreciate 8%. You just got to write out the volatility. So you're not guaranteed anything because every investment has investment risk. But if you can write out the volatility, it's a decent return with the fact that you can keep it in autopilot. You don't have to network with the CEOs. You don't have to really read analyst reports if you do like index funds. And as long as you tune out the news, you're going to be fine. Now, alternative assets, I think, and alternative assets are so broad, but I'm, I'm going to specify the alternative assets I kind of focused in on the book, more of the real estate related that we kind of come across in our network. Like I'm not talking about, hey, like a, a fund that ha- somehow f- has commodities involved with an apartment building, something crazy like that. I kind of like simple simple alternative investments like, hey, just apartment building or you know, a fund that focuses on apartment buildings. So I looked at at what that can produce. And I said, look, hey, there's pros and cons here and there's pros and cons there. The verse mentality is wrong. You just have to blend the pros here with the with the cons there and you'll have a more well-rounded portfolio. So one of the things that you really speak about, and by the way, you know, he's got a great, Dennis has got a great new book. It's called The Alternative Investment Almanac. And we'll put a link in the show notes to where, how you can find that. It's expert insights on building personal wealth in non-traditional ways, which I think is an awesome subtitle, but it's an awesome uh, approach for education, right? We have to, you have to educate yourself for effective action. And so one of the things that you talk about there is that it's important for folks to gain insights on building wealth in non-traditional ways. 
And is that basically the and in, instead of versus or how else would you take that a step further? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think, I think everything is about and. So I wrote the book in one way to tell, to show people who only deal with traditional assets like stocks and bonds that alternative assets are not all scams. You know, you get this concept when you do talk to someone, hey, I only talk to stocks and bonds. I only trust my financial advisor. And that's basically it. And you're like, okay, but there is this whole other world. And they're like, no, they're, they're full of Ponzi schemes. You know, they, they have these like preconceived negative notions. Now, when you talk to alternative investors, most of the time they've already moved on from traditional assets. So the book is kind of about the marriage of the two. It's showing to traditional investors that, hey, there's these nine asset classes that if you start learning about them, they actually piggyback a lot off each other. Like I know you know apartment buildings, but if you know apartment buildings, you'll be able to look at a self-storage deal as a passive investor, at least maybe not operate one, but you'll, you'll, you'll know the language, you'll know the terminology. So same thing, self-storage and then mobile home parks. So there's, there's this world out there that I wanted to introduce people with this book that it's very readily accessible. It doesn't have to be a huge mystery. And at the same time, I did want to bring out like the negatives of, of the, of those asset classes, because there are a lot of, you know, unscrupulous operators out there. I think that's important. We, you always have to understand the downside, right? So that you can make plans or have continuous plans if the downside does occur. I think that is wise investing. If you're just closing your eyes and hoping for the best, it's like what my friend Damian Lupo says. And I says it, I say it over and over again. He says, you're smoking a bunch of hopium, right? We're, we don't, we're not in, we're not into that. So let's talk about this. Cause one thing that you mentioned uh, in terms of stock investing, as an example, is like, you're not networking with the CEOs, right? So there's, there's a pro, right? You don't have to go out there and build those relationships, but it also might be a con because the relationships could be a beautiful thing. And many different capacities. One of the things in terms of alternative investing, if you want to be successful in that capacity, especially in real estate, you've got to network, you've got to build relationships, you've got to understand who the right players to partner with are and who the wrong ones are, right? So talk to me a little bit about networking and, and your experience of building a network from even just zero, right? You know, talk to me about your perspective there. Yeah, I love that question because you know, coming from a stock background, it's if you're too friendly with a CEO, you might get charged with, with inside a trader, right? But uh, in the real estate world, you can have a great relationship with an operator. You know, they'll give you the their you know their PPM they're offering, but at the same time, if you have a genuine relationship with them, you could contact them and go way more in detail. And if, as long as they respect your opinion, you're not wasting their time. They'll take that time to answer you. You know, so I think there's a huge advantage of the the access to the decision maker that you can get in the alternative space versus the the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. The other thing that I I, I say that's really cool about networking is. In, in the traditional spaces, if you go in and you get a rock star CEO, that IPO is a huge deal, right? You might wait years for them to have another deal, you know, for them to take another company public, you know, if they ever do, you know, you don't get many Elon Musks out there. But with alternative investment space, if I invest in one of your deals and you, you hit it out of the park, you know, I got, you got another IPO coming out right, right behind it. And how awesome is that? So that's one of the reasons why I really love networking. But just to go back from starting from zero, uh, I started off where I was taking like LinkedIn calls for like 15, 20 minutes. Now, I didn't get much from those calls, to be honest. But what I did get is I started learning the terminology. Once I started learning the terminology, then I started going to conferences. And then when I started investing and then I went to conferences, 
all I, I focused on quality versus quantity. You know, I, I was after my first conference, I think I had five or six people that I could reach out to. And what I did was I, I call it the calendar method. And what I would do is when I reached out to them, I would set a, a time and date to actually get on the phone with them or, or a Google meet or a zoom call, whatever it is. I, I never, I never ended the email by saying, I hope to talk to you soon. It would always be like, Hey, how about, you know, next Friday at nine o'clock. And then we, and then we do this on a quarterly basis, you know, and then when you get on that call after that call, maybe take a minute, just jot down some notes about that person. Don't force anything, get into the habit of listening to what they're actually asking for. And if you start networking with five people, that's all you really need to get started. Those five people, if they're active, you know, investors, they will tell you about the deals that they're in. They'll tell you about the operators, how they're performing. It takes time to get to that point where that level of communication is happening. But once you get to that point, then, you know, hey, I know you're looking for a deal in Charlotte. Hey, or, you know, I have a deal in in Indiana. I'm looking for a deal. I really want that part of the country. Hey, I know someone who is doing a deal right now. Really? Here, let me connect you guys. Don't expect anything in return. But once you start making those connections, those connections are then made vice versa. And it takes off like a skyrocket. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I love just the basis that you started with in terms of, hey, let's just connect with people on LinkedIn and use this tool for what it is to, you know, just have some discussions and even learn the language, right? Even just not even let, let's not gloss over that, that part, because if you don't know the language and if you can't speak in the language, it's going to be very difficult for you to build meaningful relationships in the space because, you know, everybody's got a lot going on and people are busy and they've got goals and things like that. And if you're not to the basis where you understand the language, which is going to be challenge. It's going to be a challenge to build that relationship. But I think what you also shared was super valuable in terms of connecting other people, right? When you're out networking, it's not just, Hey, here's who I am and here's what I need. And here's what I'm looking to learn. Can you help me with that? It's I'm listening so I can understand how I can serve you. What can I do to offer value to you? Because I'm always a firm believer of if you exceed expectations from a value perspective to someone else, not only is that the right way to live and an exciting way to live, it always comes back to you. Does that resonate with you, Dennis? 100%. And it it pays out everything that you put out there. It pays like a hundred times backwards, a hundred times back to you. Uh, Like for example, in my book, the way I structured my book was that I have high level introductions to the asset class. I didn't want to throw out 300 pages. If you're interested in apartment buildings, but don't know where to get started, I didn't want to give you a book about 300. There's a lot of really good really thorough books out there on just apartment building. So I wanted to give you an introduction, like 15 to 20 pages, high level, and then go into Q and A's with experts in the space. Some of the people that I got for this book, not in a million years that I think they would ever say yes. And I feel most of the, the reasons they said yes is only because one way or another, I've been networking with other people. I've been making the referrals. So when it came down to saying yes, it was, a, it was an easier yes than me just asking them, hey, help me, help me, help me. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. 
Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. That's such a good insight. And I think it's one thing for all of us to check in with and say, look, you know, what am I holding myself back from asking? Because I don't think that someone's going to say yes to, right? You know, you just brought up the example of people contributing to your book. I mean, the same is the case for so many different perspectives. And I think that the most successful people are typically the most abundant, the people who have the most open mind, and they're typically willing to contribute, right? As long as you're not looking to just take from them and take, 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 if you're giving, I mean, I think that's such a beautiful thing. So talk to me about the advantages and disadvantages. I want to switch gears just a little bit on starting an investment club, because I know that this is a, an approach that you took as you continued to scale and grow your alternative investments. You then decided to start an investment club. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. So the one, I, I don't know if you would say downside to alternative investments is usually the minimum is pretty high. You know, you could buy a, a penny stock, but when it comes to alternative investments, typically the ones that I look at are usually in the 50 thousand dollar range. Uh, so a couple of years back when I started making investments here, I was also looking into potentially building out my rental portfolio. So those were my two decisions that I had to balance out which one I wanted to make because I didn't have enough capital to do both. So I was networking with one person from my nine to five. And I also found someone else that I went to an invested dinner. And the, the funny story is how we met is that we were both asking really good questions to the operator. So it was actually a really cool project. There was a winery and they were redoing the winery. It's almost like a typical syndication, but the difference is the business plan was more about the weddings that it can drive. Uh, so it was a lot about the vision and it was very like you had to really buy into the idea if you like the investment. But during the investment dinner, there was about 100 investors there. And most of the questions were like kind of like easy layups. And me and this other guy, similar age, similar thing, we were just going back and forth with like really in-depth questions. It got to the point where we were going back and forth so much that the, that the main operator said, you two, sit back at the end of the at the end of the presentation I'll do a one on one with you guys because it was getting to the point where it was just too many questions <laughs> so I, I I met him afterwards he's my partner now Matt Canning and we talked more and more about it and all we did was just exchange a couple of emails where I gave my thoughts on the deal and he kind of gave his thoughts on the deal. And then I kind of just looped in my my partner for my job. And all of a sudden we realized we had a really good connection. And now for the and then it was literally six months of us dating. I want to use that word. And we realized that hey, this is worth a try. So we we've went, we talked to a couple of lawyers how to do this properly because you're doing an LLC. There has to be an operating agreement. And not only did this have to be an operating agreement, there has to be active participation amongst all members of the investment club. Because the moment one of the 
At the moment, if you form an investment club and one of the members goes passive, then you need a securities document. So it, it gets a little tricky. So we, we found out the proper way of doing it. We all agreed to be active. That means we we're all sourcing deals. We all were going to contribute. We weren't going to uh, invest in anything without the collective, uh, you know, collective consensus of the whole group. And it had to be 100% consensus. It wasn't like a two out of three type of thing. So once we did that, we realized, hey, now we got to focus in on what asset class we actually want. We know now we have some decent capital to come in with, more capital than any individual one of us has. Now we got to figure out which asset class to zone in. And at that time, I was doing syndications. And he just started doing syndications. And then my third partner was on board. So it was a natural transition. And we kind of just went, we created an investment club and we instantly like bought a nice collection of syndications. Love it. So the investment club is really just an, an LLC, right? A small group of investors who are making collective decisions. Am I understanding that correctly? 100%. Uh, so it, it can be much more than that. But this is the version that you know I've used in the past and version that I think works pretty well. The The trick is that they all have to, you all, everybody has to be, everybody has to be actively involved. The moment the act, actively involved part goes out the window, then it becomes complicated. Then you need a securities attorney. And then I'm not sure it's going to be worth the complications at that point. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think there's a, there, you know, everybody needs to understand and really educate themselves on what that means. When does this become a security, right? Because if you're just taking money and no one's active, then that could be considered a security and you've got to follow a certain protocol from a legal perspective to remain legal, right? So that's really important. So thank you for sharing that. And one of the things that I love about what you do now is you help people access opportunities from a larger perspective. And it's not just deal specific, it's a collection of deals, right? It's funds. So talk to me about the advantages and disadvantages of funds and how your approach helps investors achieve their goals. Yeah, so I, so, the investment club was doing really, really well. And we kind of reached a point where we said, okay, we could actually expand this. We could actually bring in um, you know, other people's money uh, because we had people that, that were hearing what we were doing and they wanted to get involved. Uh, so then we kind of made a decision of which route we wanted to go. And I personally, I wanted to go more of an income route where I, I felt like there was a lot of good options out there for general appreciation for people who are willing to take the risk, but I didn't feel like there was many good options where you get where there's a viable alternative income fund where the priority is income and capital ver capital preservation versus uh, appreciation and risk. My whole logic, my whole mentality stems from the fact that I couldn't find income with my traditional portfolio. So when I wanted to create a fund, I wanted to create a fund that I personally would have used when I was looking for income. So that's kind of where I came up with SIH Capital Group. And SIH Capital Group is built for one purpose. It's to increase the income of the investors while while lowering the, their volatility, because none of the assets in that in the fund are traded publicly, so everything is private. Uh, they're, they're all private equities, mainly focused on in real estate. And I love how you've you've had experience across many different asset classes, whether it's apartments, mobile home parks, I believe self storage, ATMs as well. 
Yep. I mean, could you talk about that and how the collection of those different asset classes really help folks achieve their goals? And, and maybe it, it is the combination of income versus lower volatility, but is there anything else that you'd say to that? Yeah. So I, I, I wanted to be careful not to get into like a jack of all trades. So I didn't want to be like, oh, let me just put Bitcoin in here because it's popular. <laughs> right. So um, four of the five asset classes are all primarily real estate that we deal with. It's, it's as you mentioned, mobile home park, self-storage, apartment buildings. I also, we deal with multi-asset funds where they just, it's like, it's a fund that purchases multiple assets in one, I guess. I hate giving the definition as the actual word. Uh, and the the outliers, the ATM funds. And the reason the ATM funds is included is, it, A, it's a highly vetted ATM fund. But the reason why it's included is because most real estate when you deal with apartment buildings and self-storage and, and mobile home parks, there's a wind-up period. There's like a lag. There's costs associated to purchasing the property. There's time that it takes to implement the business plan. And during that time period, usually the cash flow is smaller. So the ATM fund has a higher cash flow from the start, but it has almost nothing on the back end. So I thought marrying the two will allow me to actually pay my investors close to exactly what they're expecting from day one while reducing some of that lag that you would get from just if you just did apartment buildings. I love it. And I think that there's definitely a lot to be said about diversification and obviously, you know, spreading risk across different asset classes that have different, you know, that are in different parts of the cycle and that are not correlated, right? There's there's totally value in that. And I would almost venture to say that in in certain degrees that real estate does have a real estate component because it's about where is it located, right? And what type of interaction does it have? Of course, it's not attached to the land, so it can't be directly considered real estate. But I just think that's an interesting rabbit hole that we could go down, but it's not really necessary for this conversation. But as you continue to advance and as you continue to add more value to other people, as you continue to grow as an investor, one of the things that I've found really interesting about our conversation prior to beginning here in our conversation during the podcast is that to become a better investor, what you found is that you've got to become a more well-rounded individual, which really resonates with me and it resonates with Elevate Nation to such a high degree because we're all about mindset, mind expansion, personal growth, right? So talk to me a little bit more about what that has meant for you and what that journey is looking like for you right now. Yeah. So about a year ago, I started doing more masterminds and more coaching. And one of the mastermind groups that I, I participated in, uh, the way it, it got broken up was, we would have a small, like they're called a pod. So you would, you would talk to five or six people on a continually weekly basis. And a couple of, a couple of uh, the people in the pod were part of a, I don't know how you would, you would say the group, but it, it's, it's more of like a, it's not just like an investment uh, focused group. It's more about being a total person. And they started sharing a lot of their insights on our pod calls. And they shared like um, shared documents of goals, of more goal setting, of focusing in on your weight and fitness and being a good dad and being uh, a good spouse and all these type of things that I think I've neglected for really, really a long time being an investor. Like as an investor, you sometimes always have this like, well, the next investment or in three years, I'll, I'll harvest the gains. And the mentality there is more to balance it out with the present and to enjoy the journey and really, really pay attention and, you know, uh, incorporate meditation into a daily practice and really 
put fitness as just as important. Hey, can you do 20 pull-ups? Because that's just as important as ha- having a network of a million dollars. So all of these type of things that I kind of never focused on before networking with these people, because this is not, you know, my childhood friends aren't talking about this. You know, they're most of the, you know, so some of them are happy, some of them are not, but they're not focused on happiness. And when you start networking with real estate investors that are also have an abundant mentality, happiness is more important than, than money. And then you just understand that it's, it's really time and happiness and making the people around you happy as well, which then kind of makes you a better networker because you start incorporating some of that stuff. And you're like, hey, I, I can help this person more just for the purpose of helping and not for any selfish reasons. Man, that was good. That was really good. And, and the reason why it's so good is because like what Tony Robbins says is that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. You know, happiness is more important than money, as you just mentioned. If you can grow and you can be financially, you know, hugely capable of, of doing big things and giving to other people and then continuing to expand. I think that's an amazing thing. But what has this done for you? I mean, obviously, outside of happiness and living a better life, I mean, how has this increased your capacity as an investor as well? So I probably wouldn't have the fund and the book if I wasn't part of the networking group. Um, when my investment club decided that they wanted to do a different type of fund and I had like a choice to make. And the reason why I pushed through it, it was because it was my goal with my pod. And I didn't want to kind of like let them down. And I was like, hey, I got to do this. I, I said I wanted to do it. There's really no reason not to do it. I just have to do more stuff on my own. Uh, and the same thing, the book, you know, I think I told my pod the day I came up with the idea. And I was like, what do you guys think? And they were super supportive. So getting around people who have like, you know, the cliche line, you are the, the result of the five people you think. It's so true. If you're if you're surrounded by people that say, hey, this is an awesome idea, go for it, versus, oh, do you think you can do this? You know, I've never seen you write more than 10 pages. You know, so it depends on what's coming into your ears is gonna is gonna, you know, produce results of whether or not you're gonna take action or not. Yeah. And we wouldn't be having this conversation. You wouldn't be speaking to thousands of people right now and building relationships and opening the mind to thousands of more people. The other thing that's amazing about this is that not only are thousands of people hearing this message from you right now, but they can also pay it forward themselves. So you could be impacting tens of thousands of people and every single person that's listening could be doing the same as well. So I just think the domino effect of us investing in ourselves and opening our mind to new paradigms is endlessly valuable. So thank you so much for that. Dennis, this has been an amazing conversation. I really, really appreciate you taking time. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. It's all about expanding our thought process. It's all about raising the bar and pushing the limits. And so I'd love to ask you a few questions as now being an author yourself, I would be curious to know if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Okay. So I can't include my book because I've read that thing like 50 times (laughs) in the last few months. So I won't include my book, obviously. So I would definitely say one of them, I know this is going to be a little bit uncommon, but it's more about aligning your focus away from finances sometimes because as a real estate investor, you kind of get guilty in always thinking about finances. Um, So one of the books that was recently recommended to me by actually one of my um, mastermind uh, friends was The Five Love Languages, uh, The Secrets to Love That Last by Gary Chapman. Uh, So it's the book is about the different languages that the people around you share 
it's geared towards your spouse, but it, it's also, you know, it could be applied to your relationship with your children. It's about making sure that you are actually on the same page because sometimes, you know, in, in your head, you're doing all the right things for the people that are close to you. And then they might be speaking a different language. So the whole book is about kind of really getting you on the same page to the people that you want to be around. I love that. I was talking to somebody about that last night and in that book, you know, it just brings you to the perspective that the world doesn't always revolve around you and that not everybody else is the exact same as you. Like your love language is probably different than your spouse. It's probably different than your best friend. It's probably different from many other people that you encounter. So what can you do to speak their language? I think that's a really valuable one. I'll take it a step further too and just say that I read that book with a perspective of in the workplace, right? Because that relates to our relationships outside of just our spouse or our family. Is there any other books that you point to? So I, I, you know, all the other, the, the tractions, the visions, they all, you know, played a huge role. I would actually say the miracle morning was pretty big for me. Um, it helped me stop being a binge reader. I think throughout my whole life, I would be guilty of like, just going through like a couple of books and then just stop. And then I would be like, okay, I had enough because I'm just reading so much in such a short period of time. I need, I need to relax. And then I kind of forget to go back into the reading mentality. So the miracle morning, I think one of the practices in the morning is just to read like 10 pages a day. That switch was so basic, but the amount I've read in the last six to nine months has been probably 10x what I've read in the previous years. So just that one little tip, if anybody wants to read the book, the book is you know phenomenal and speaks for itself. But that one little tip of just reading a few minutes a day, uh, besides the meditation and everything, that was really helpful as well. But that one tip is huge for me. Yeah. I mean, tiny, tiny little habits applied consistently can produce massive results. And that's just a prime example. Are there any other habits that have been really important for you as you've continued to grow? So I don't know if this is much of a habit, but I think just consciously being present. Um, I'm so guilty of just thinking that I'm working for tomorrow. And I have three kids, five, three, and two, and they are a handful. And, you know, it takes a lot of patience to, uh, to really enjoy being with them. But it, it's all about the journey. Like I'm seeing them grow up and, you know, I don't want to fast forward in 13 years when my net worth is you know, considerable multiple, but I would give up those 13 years of my life. So I think my, my biggest habit now, and now that the book is done and my fund is launched is just to be present. That's awesome. Well, you've definitely been present today. So I appreciate that. And, um, aside from what we've already talked about today, Dennis, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? I would say this was definitely be uh, networking, uh, networking with others. It, it's, I don't, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for people around me. I wouldn't be on this phone call without someone else I networked with uh, in the past. And I, I just don't think, I, I even said it in my book, if you're not networking, you shouldn't really invest in alternative assets. That's so good. That's so good, man. And I'll take it a step further too on that. It's like you, you, just, you just do a great job of relationship building. Sometimes people get hung up on the word networking and they think, oh man, it just feels like I have to run around and throw my business card around. But it's really about what you shared earlier in this discussion was really about giving and investing in relationships. And so, man, that's awesome. That's a huge takeaway. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? I mean, I think that's really connected in somewhat of what you just said, but what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? I think it's, it, it 
kind of I, to be cliche, it's the same thing because like you said, it's all about giving and you're constantly looking for ways uh, to help someone else refer someone else. And that's it. I, I, I don't, I don't have a better answer than that. <laughs> Drop the mic, my friend, Dennis Shapiro. What an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? Yeah, I, I, I think you say it all the time. I think you got to take action. Uh, I think uh, even if you're not a hundred percent sure, you know, the, you read the disclaimers, nothing is a hundred percent sure. Uh, there's disclaimers all over my fund. My security attorney made me put it <laughs> and every article I write, there's a disclaimer, but you need to go out there and take action. If something's interesting to you, make sure you, you pursue it because you know, no one's, you know, promised anything. Yeah, no, that's so good, man. And, um, Elevate Nation can check you out at sihcapitalgroup.com. Of course, we'll put links in the show notes to where you can find Dennis across LinkedIn, Facebook, what have you. And you definitely want to go check out the Alternative Investment Almanac by Dennis Shapiro. We'll put a link, of course, in the show notes as well to where you can find that. And I know that's been a labor of love, Dennis, by, by uh, what you've said about how many times you've gone through and edited this thing. I mean, this is a work of art. It is a passion project and you're giving so much. So Dennis, is there anywhere else that Elevate Nation can find you? No, just at sihcapitalgroup.com. If you click learn more, I have an abridged version of the book. So if you don't want to read 300 pages, it's like literally 30 pages and it has little visuals, so it's not even 30 pages. Uh, so that's the best way to uh, reach out to me. Uh, feel free to connect. I, I, I am a man that does like networking. It's not a chore <laughs> for me. It's a hobby for me. So just uh, reach out to me if you want to learn more. That's right. That's right. And Elevate Nation, I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because there's so much value here. There's so much that you can apply to not only your alternative investing, whether it's in real estate or otherwise, but to your mindset, to your approach, to your philosophy, to the way that you give to other people. So I want to encourage you to identify what are the top three takeaways that you want to take massive action on immediately. Because at the end of the day, sometimes we can get overwhelmed and say, well, there's 26 different things. And oh, I, I just, you know, analysis paralysis, right? So what are the top three things that you want to take away from this episode? Take massive action. Of course, you want to pay this forward and share this with someone else, give to someone else and share with them. What are your takeaways? They might have different takeaways and you might learn something new. Everybody will win. That is for sure. But until next time, Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for listening. Dennis, thank you again for being on the show, my friend. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.